Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Sarah Mishkin, an associate in SNC's London office. With me today is Anousi Nayada, a partner in SNC's New York office and co-head of the firm's global project development and finance practice. Today, we're going to talk about the equator principles, one of the most widely adopted environmental, social, and governance standards in the financial sector. As of October 1st, the fourth version of the equator principles, also known as EP4, came into force. And the Equator Principles Association has recently published on their website further guidance on their implementation. The updated Equator Principles means that more stringent environmental and social responsibility requirements will now apply to many projects and institutions that finance them. We have also covered EP4 in a client memo published in April 2020, available at solcarm.com. Enosi, thank you for joining me. Can you start with some background as to what the equator principles are and why they're so important for project developers to be thinking about? Sure, Sarah, thank you. The equator principles are a risk management framework for projects and project-related financings that help lenders and project sponsors assess, monitor, and mitigate the potential environmental and social risks related to a project. A growing number of financial institutions have signed onto the equator principles over the years because they give institutions a standardized and consistent way to assess and manage some of the challenging social and environmental issues that can arise with their investments in major projects, including those in the energy and natural resource sectors. Project developers need to be aware of the equator principles when financing their projects. This applies not just to traditional project financing, but also in the case of corporate financings, bridge financings, and acquisition financings. Over 100 commercial banks and developmental lenders in almost 40 countries have signed up to the equator principles. Effectively, this means that any project considering debt financing will likely need to be in compliance with the equator principles in order to maximize its ability to raise this financing. Let's turn to this new update, the fourth version of the equator principles. What changes should project sponsors and lenders be focusing most on? We've seen the focus on ESG, environmental, social, and governance considerations, continue to grow over the years. Similarly, equator principles have been expanded. In EP4, they've been expanded in various ways. Two important ones include expansion on the scope of transactions that are covered, and secondly, expansions on the type of risk assessment that project sponsors will need to carry out. We've worked with clients over the years to establish compliance with equator principles for a range of projects that are being financed, both in the traditional project finance sector with project-related corporate loans, project advisory services, and bridge loans meant to be refinanced by the projects I've just mentioned. In those cases, we regularly work with project developers to understand the application of equator principles and to structure the terms of the financing and the projects to align with them. Based on the expanded scope of EP4, developers will now also need to take into account equator principles in certain refinancings of project finance and in acquisition financings used to acquire a project company or a project. This means that equator principles could be applicable in situations they were previously inapplicable, such as M&A transactions involving a project company as a target. Adapting to this for these new financing transactions 
can be a long lead time item that the borrower and its sponsors need to plan for early in the financing process. Given that EP4 and their expanded scope have only recently been adopted, financial institutions are still developing the scope of their internal requirements related to the new principles. We would expect that as more transactions are done within this expanded scope, generally understood parameters and practices will be developed for application across different financing transactions. On the risk assessment side, equator principles now more clearly require analysis of potential adverse human rights impacts and explicitly require assessment of climate change risks related to a project. In talking about project risk assessments, can you explain how under EP4, project sponsors and lenders should be identifying the applicable laws or environmental and social frameworks that they are going to need to comply with and benchmark a project against? This is a good question, Sarah. And it's a somewhat complicated analysis that depends on where the project is located, the applicable host country laws, and the project's potential impacts. Broadly speaking, prior to EP4, projects located in high-income OECD countries were required to be evaluated against and comply with only host country law and regulation. In contrast, projects in other countries were required to be evaluated against and comply with host country law, IFC performance standard, and World Bank group guidelines. The IFC performance standards date back to 2012, and most international project sponsors and lenders will be familiar with those terms because a lot of developmental lenders that lend in the international space use these as a benchmark. EP4 now changes this and requires financial institutions to assess the risks of projects in high-income OECD countries. Now these financial institutions are expected to assess a project's compliance with relevant IFC and World Bank standards and guidelines in addition to compliance with host country law and regulation. This change was in response to some concern that host country laws in some high-income OECD countries may not sufficiently protect local communities or the environment. In certain circumstances, the Equator principles also now specify the relevant IFC standard that must be applied to a project. In particular, all projects affecting indigenous people need to follow a process of informed consultation and participation. This process needs to be evaluated against both host country law and IFC performance standard seven, which seeks to protect indigenous peoples. For projects in countries like the US, Canada, and Australia, this new benchmark introduces a new and incremental standard that has to be taken into account early on in planning a project. To avoid delays in the project's development and financial investment decision timeline, it is critical to integrate these IFC requirements into the process of engagement and consultation with Indigenous people that is conducted under host country law and not to wait till later to integrate the IFC requirements. This is frequently one of the key matters that we regularly discuss and plan with sponsors and developers during a project's development process. Can you explain if these new requirements are going to apply retroactively to existing projects? No, thankfully they don't because that would be really complicated for projects to implement. If a project has finance documents that are already signed, then they will not apply. However, it's very important to look at a financing document's terms and ensure that there isn't a contractual provision that might retroactively apply or impose the new equator principles. For instance, if a finance document generically refers to the most current international standards or 
to equator principles from time to time, or as determined by lenders from time to time, that could pull in equator principles for. We advise sponsors who are preparing the finance documents to avoid such broad clauses because they give rise to uncertainty in implementation of equator principle requirements. Equator principles four do apply, however, to expansions and upgrades of existing projects and certain refinancings. It's important for existing projects planning an expansion or an upgrade to undertake a gap analysis to determine the scope of any additional assessment, reporting, and compliance that would be required under EP4. This will allow the project to proactively propose an environmental social implementation plan to lenders that takes into account the project's timeline and process as well as local law requirements in undertaking to apply equitable principles going forward. Climate change is obviously top of mind for many right now. How do the equator principles require project sponsors and investors to account for climate change related risks? For more carbon intensive projects, the equator principles already required an alternative analysis to assess options for reducing project related greenhouse gas emissions. They also required reporting on greenhouse gas emissions annually during operations. These requirements are retained in EP4. The new requirement under EP4 is for a risk assessment that looks at the climate-related risk associated with a project and asks how the project plans to manage these risks. The focus is really on assessing the business risks to a project from climate change. There are two kinds of climate-related risk relevant to the assessment, physical risk and transition risk. Physical risk relates to the actual impact of climate change on the environment and on the project itself. Transition risks are those related to the shift to a low carbon economy and the policy, legal, and market changes that accompany the shift. For example, for an LNG facility, analysis of physical risks could cover the impact of more frequent storms and rising sea levels. Analysis of transition risks could cover the impact of falling customer demand for non-renewable energy or tighter regulation of carbon emissions. The climate change analysis would look at these types of risks and ask how the project is addressing each of them. As an illustration, the assessment would look at whether the project has realistic and effective plans and systems in place to manage the risks of its operations, either by mitigating them, trying to control them, or accepting them as part of the project's risk profile. The assessment is also required to consider how a project aligns with the host country's national climate commitments such as the country's obligations under the Paris Agreement. The depths of the required climate change risk assessment will depend in large part on materiality and severity of the risks. From a practical perspective, what should project sponsors be doing now to ensure their financing is going to be compliant with this new version of the equator principles? It's important for project sponsors and investors to be thinking early about these new requirements and be thoughtful in considering the environmental and social risks potentially implicated by a project. They now have to consider this not just for traditional categories previously subject to equator principles, but for broader category of financings, such as refinancings and acquisition financing. This may be a factor that is not immediately evident to the transaction participants in areas where equator principles had not been traditionally applied. As a result, in any financing where a majority of the proceeds will fund a project, whether it's infrastructure, energy, or natural resources, and in any financing to be repaid or secured primarily by a project's revenues, it's important to discuss with your advisors whether lending sources will have specific requirements 
that may not previously have been taken into account. Equator principles may be one of these requirements to consider. We at SNC regularly help our clients navigate the policy requirements arising from equator principles and other social and environmental guidelines in a way that achieves successful multi-source financing, but also accommodates the sponsor's commercial objectives and the practical realities faced by projects. Thank you, Inose. For those interested in further information on the equator principles, sustainable finance, or general ESG-related developments, we have a range of memos and other podcast episodes available on these topics at solcrom.com. In particular, we have recently published two memos analyzing the growth of hydrogen as a fuel able to address sustainable energy challenges and explaining what new government policies could support the sector. For those articles and other resources, you can visit solcrom.com backslash renewable dash energy. Mm -hmm.